Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast here. Solly here, Tron's here, DJ Pie is here. Uh, we're going to get to our interview here quickly with Mike Wan, but uh, first wanted to tee it up a little bit. Um, we went to an LPGA event. Good for us. <laughs> it's long overdue. <laughs> we want to acknowledge. Long overdue. We want to acknowledge that we've been definitely. This has been it's initiative for us. We wanted to get into more LPGA coverage. It was actually the second No Laying Up. LPGA That's true. Event. Neil would take issue with the, with the intro to this podcast because uh, he went to the swinging skirts, right? In San Francisco, and I also went to like the Wendy's 3M challenge when I was like 12. So no, he went like on behalf of no one. Okay, um, but we we we've been wanting to do it, and we got our eyes opened to the LPGA this week at the uh, Kia Classic at Aviara. Um, got a chance to interview Danielle Kang. Hopefully, you guys heard that last week. That was a phenomenal. That, that was a blast. She's a blast. We learned pretty quickly the LPGA girls not too censored. <laughs> no it was uh i like i don't get uncomfortable very much and i was i was almost like you guys are pushing it too far for me even i'm gonna have to you're gonna have to rein it in a little bit uh i felt great about but it but i would i would way rather miss on that side well for sure it was funny as we we're talking the range before we played in the pro-am about like yeah but just make sure we don't say i mean we can't say that word like can't say this and the things that we were discussing not talking about wouldn't have registered Correct. among the top 50 yeah. vulgar things that it were said. It was explicit yeah. out there. And it was just it was amazing how comfortable they were, how they just kind of don't have this corporate polish to them that we're so used to on the PGA Tour, kind of the robotic approach. They love media. They, yeah. they, they love the opportunity to talk to us and tell stories. And there was a lot of locker room talk. A lot of locker, a lot of locker room talk. talk. <laughs> Allison Definitely. Lee and Bronte Law. That pod, when that comes out, you guys are going to be kind of stunned with the uh, the banter back and forth with them. But uh, pretty cool opportunity to get to sit down with the commissioner uh, of the LPGA Tower, Mike Wan. Tron, what were your impressions? I was ready to run through a brick wall about <laughs> not even halfway through after his first maybe five minutes in there. He was just, you know, just infectious enthusiasm that guy brings the energy and we got a lot of video stuff coming out from the pro-am dj's deep in the editing bay on that it what might we, already be out for all i know yeah. depending when this podcast goes we'll out. get it out by in the next it'll, it'll be up hours. soon yeah, yeah it'll be up soon uh what was your impression of uh kind of we got to play with tiffany joe in the pro-am and jane park what did uh we didn't get to do anything you guys got to play with them <laughs> uh, i was i was toting the camera yeah i was yeah i, I gave up my spot it was like the end of rudy I hung up my jersey and, and allowed you guys to go play. Um, I, I was blown away, man. I, I love going to like the, I don't know, I don't want this to sound like a slight, but the, the PJ Tour events that I have the most fun at are the chillest ones where there's the smallest crowds and kind of the less, uh, the least amount of arrogance, I guess, for lack of a better term. And that was definitely the vibe you get out of the LPGA, kind of for better or worse as far as, as far as kind of attendance goes. But yeah, I mean, it's just stress-free. Everybody's there to just have a good time. Uh, the people we played with obviously like made sure we had a good time, but they're also they're talking to all the volunteers. They're they're just making sure everybody appreciates. Everybody knows how much they appreciate them being out there, and that I thought that was really cool. And yeah, just walked away. In a good mood the yeah, whole time. exactly. And it puts you in a good mood. And it just, I mean, we're sitting before the pro am even went out, and and we're sitting by eighteen, and we're just drinking beers, watching the pro-am go on. And I mean, it's a beautiful day. It's like, 
that's the kind of stuff that makes me like golf as lame as that sounds. I mean, it's like, I, I just, I hate the feeling when you're at a tour event and there's crowds and you're waiting in lines and it just feels just stressful. And you, that's what makes you want to just watch it on TV. This was the exact opposite of that. Just going out and watching them hit wedges. Like we could, how long could we have stood on the range, watch Brooke Henderson I just almost, warm up. I was about to stroke out. <laughs> it was she, phenomenal. She picked up, she picked up a club first shot of the day. It's a 50 yard, uh, wedge shot hits the target. It clanks. Ding. Which was yeah, it was like your like local driving range where they have the, the painted bucket out there at fifty yeah, it was yards. Awesome. Yeah. And then the second shot she hits, uh, same wedge but seventy five yard shot. Sure enough, bing. And yeah, I was. Like, I heard it from the other side yeah, of the range. Yeah. I came running over. I was like, is she really doing? It was this? impressive. You're gonna hear. Uh, you're gonna hear Mike Wan talk a bit, a lot about sponsorship and kind of the, the top-down approach he takes from the LPGA. It's a topic we haven't really discussed on the podcast a lot, but found it kind of interesting to see the trickle-down effect of, you know, for a tour like the LPGA that doesn't have the, the the throes of money coming in like the PGA Tour does. Kind of their approach towards how they handle their sponsors. And after kind of getting, you know, we interviewed him and then we got to play in the Pro-Am and kind of see how they treated Kia and how that whole process went along. I thought it was fascinating. I kind of saw it from like, this actually does make a ton of sense for somebody to sponsor an LPGA event. One, it's like really fun to go play with those girls. You play from the same tees, like, and you, like you play nine holes with someone and then you, you swap out and play nine holes with a new player. That whole process, I thought, was just kind of, I don't know, good to see how that's done on the LPGA Tour. It was pretty fascinating. It was cool It was yeah. cool to see also that Tron's game sets up very well for the LPGA. We so learned that. A lot of hybrids. relatable. A lot of hybrids, yeah. kind of seven woods, nine woods. Once he put a Jane Park's bag. Once he put the ego away and started playing out of Jane's bag, he was he didn't miss a shot. Right? I mean, you hit her driver. I went in her. with no ego. I was... <laughs> that's true. We got we they definitely teed us up well with personalities. So Tiffany yeah. Joe, I don't you couldn't wipe the smile off her face. I mean, she first of all, she was not there to practice. She was there to <laughs> to just laugh, have fun, and, and she ate a hot dog while we were out there. Like that's just something you would not see on the PGA tour. We thought we like we nailed it with her, and then we take the turn to, to the back nine, and Jane's like, hey, I don't know who you guys are. I'm just kidding. I'm a big nothing follower. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, she, she's she don't a follow podcast me. Yeah, yeah. She, friend of the pod. Her husband's a big big uh yeah big knowing up guys from london and uh her caddy rocky was awesome oh he caddy for hale Irwin. he yeah. had all kind all the stories i mean nine holes with both those players was not enough it was, also the nine and nine pro-am thing it's got to be done on the tour it's so cool it's so cool yeah, yeah. the pros only the pros are, come with so much more energy they only have to play nine holes you get to play with two different pros it's it's a it's a great approach so uh, I think without further ado, let's cut to Mike Wan. It's a nice, it's a lengthy interview. Uh, there is, I also is, want to give a shout out. I mean, Jane finished yeah, T5. T5. The Pro-Am bump. Yeah. Um, Bronte finished very high as well. She was yeah. like top 20, I think. Um, Tiffany did not fare quite as well. Um, Danielle started hot and yeah. then faded. But yeah. uh, the bump, the bump it, it's, it, it translates to other tours as well. And uh, with it being a major championship week, the ANA uh, inspiration, we thought it'd be good to roll this podcast out this week. Um, and then after this, for the rest of this rest of this week and next week, obviously we are full bore with the masters. So two things too, I want to say there's three PGA tour events without sponsors right now. <laughs> there's, you know, like, I mean, I think it, it's worth noting, like Mike Wan's increased the purses out there by 40 to 50% over the last five or six years. They've like maxed out their schedule and now they're just trying to increase the quality of each event. Like the, from where they were six or seven years ago to where they are now is remarkable. And to see him and to kind of hear him talk about it, you kind of realize why. Yeah. So yeah. 
and we're not here to preach. We've not done a great job of, of yeah. like, informing you guys on it and, and being informed ourselves. But I'm telling you, like I'm checking leaderboard after one week out there. I'm checking leaderboards. And yeah, and it's I'm kind of way it, more. I mean, it's a testament it. of just seeing personalities and what personalities do for making you care. you want to follow. Yeah, yeah, making you care and making yeah. you want to go follow these people yeah. because it's it, it's just such an eye opening thing. And hopefully that translates in the video and the podcasts yeah. and all that stuff. But. As much yeah, as it was like a revelation to us, we knew this was out there. We just haven't had the time the and resources. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're trying to, obviously, we're going to go to the uh, to at least one more tournament, probably two more tournaments in the rest of the season. But uh, all right, without further ado, let's get to Mike Wan. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Real quick, before we start with Mike Wan, uh, an update from our friends over at Odyssey Golf. They have been absolutely dominating the world's professional tours this year. It's not slowing down anytime soon. They are led by the new O-Works Red and Black line. Featuring the micro hinge insert, it gives you incredible feel and roll. Odyssey is the only brand to win on all six major tours in 2018. In fact, Odyssey has more wins in 2018 than Scotty Cameron and TaylorMade combined. Tron, we were just out at the test center. What are you gaming now? What do you like? I put the marksman immediately in the bag. How quickly? Uh, like Chad handed it to like me day and, of. and it went in my bag. <laughs> I'm still, I'm gaming the seven shape. Uh, it's, it's, it just, it, the ball comes off so smooth. It stays online. The micro hinge insert. I'm, a, I'm addicted to it. I love it. It's not coming out anytime soon. Uh, if you're ready to start making more putts, visit odysseygolf.com or get out to your local golf shop today. Try out the new O-Works putters. Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Finally, let's get to Mike Wan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast out here at the Kia Classic. We have the commissioner of the LPGA Tour and fellow Miami alum, Mike Wan. What's oh, happened? Too? Both of us. Oh, sweet. Yeah, we were going <laughs> to. We need walk up music. We need a little Miami uh, I know. welcome. I'm not we'll sure what that song. music would be. But. I'm not sure what that, if I remember what. That, the place has totally changed. We, 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 that's where we met there. So okay. we graduated there in 08. And I think the, the school's completely changed, at least since I went then. 0 for 3 on my kids. I took all three boys to Miami, Ohio. And I think my wife said, like, how can none of our kids go there? And I said, I'm clearly too excited. Because, like, I'm like, that's where Taco Tuesday is. You know, that's yeah. where Quarter Beers is on Thursday. And, you know, my son, my youngest said to me, hey, Dad, this this place is your story. Like, I got to go make my own story. And <laughs> I said to my wife, I should have had you take them. Like, she went to Miami, right. too, but she would have been cool about it. You pushed it, it too much. Yeah, and- yeah. I, of course, had to, like, sit outside the fraternity house and tell them stories. And they could care What less. fraternity were you in? Pike. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I should admit I that. I was right could... down. I was the KA. I was right down. Oh, is that right? Okay, yeah. good. So fire truck. Yeah, good. Yeah. I was a Phi Psi. So. Oh, excellent. But uh, no, I, I went the, the day I went there. Was the only college visit I took. I said, "Yeah, that's where yeah, I'm going." Yeah, me too. I, was... I made the mistake. I was, I was a quarterback, and uh, and I was recruited by the kicker coach. So that should have told me something right <laughs> off the bat that the quarterback coach wasn't wasn't hosting me. The kicker coach. But we it was one of those beautiful Saturday mornings. We're walking down to the stadium, and all the fraternities were having like kegs and eggs parties, and yeah. like sorority girls were laying out on the roofs of the houses. Right there on Talawanda. Yeah, and like yeah. you know, my, my neck is sore from looking up at the roof, and I looked back at my mom, and I said, "You know, I'm going to school." Here, right? She goes, well, they don't haven't offered you anything. I said, doesn't matter what they offer. Like this is where I'm going to school. So did you play football? I played football for three weeks. Okay. Uh, John Padani, who works with me, we met uh, walk on quarterbacks. Uh, he played for three years. I played for three weeks. So that should tell you a little bit about the talent. I thought because, you were going to say three yeah. years when you started yeah, that no, sentence. No, no, no. <laughs> I remember weeks. calling my dad, saying, "Hey, dad, you know, I'm never going to play in the NFL." And my dad, I thought my dad was going to be heartbroken. He goes. Well, good God, I know that. You're not for playing in the NFL. I said, well, I've been playing football because I didn't want to offend you to stop. And so it was, you know, one of those things. Yeah, I was you think, reading you a, think your parents, a Karen Krauss article where she was saying <laughs> you've equated one of the awards you'd won to, yeah. 
you know, being a quarterback, but you weren't a very talented quarterback, you said. Well, the last question I got when I was interviewing for the job of commissioner, the last question, and she was the former CEO of Pepsi, and she was the chairman of the board, chairwoman of the board of the LPGA, and she said, can you describe your leadership style to the board? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 45 years old and I don't have a leadership style. But so, I'm, you know, my mind is racing. Well, that's not a good answer. So give her something better. And I said, I'm just going to tell you a story. When I was eight years old, I was, you know, trying out for Pop Warner football. And at the end of the first week, I heard my dad walk up to the coach and said, what do you think about my son, Mike? And I heard the coach say, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Juan, he's not very big. So he's not going to make it on the line of scrimmage. Uh, even though he's small, he's surprisingly slow. So I don't think he's going to be a receiver. <laughs> probably couldn't speed. probably couldn't take the pounding of a running back. And I remember my dad saying, I'm, of course, I'm playing catch, acting like I'm not listening. My dad saying, should we come back in a year and maybe let him get a little more size? And the guy said, I'll, I'll be honest with you. He's learned the offense in like seven days, and he's pretty comfortable, you know, kind of ordering other kids around. So we're going to try him a quarterback. And I remember thinking, well, that was the greatest non-compliment of my life. And so my, we were driving home, and I start crying. And my dad said, hey, this is a tough lesson to learn. But what that guy essentially said is if you can get the, hand, if you can get the ball out of your hands and in the hands of a more talented person quickly – this team's got a chance of winning. And I remember saying to the board, I was 44 years old. I said, I'm kind of the same guy. Like if you're looking to hire the most talented athlete, keep looking because I'm not that guy, but I'll surround myself with talent because I have to, I'm not that good. And I'll make sure the ball's not in my hand very often. I promise we'll win and we'll have a good win loss record, but I'm not Tom Brady. Like it ain't going to be because of me. That's a great uh, answer. System quarterback. (laughs) An answer of like turning your weakness into a strength. That's the perfect, I care too much. (laughs) When Um, you really have only weaknesses, you surround yourself with strength. <laughs> well, I, you have such an interesting backstory. So, what, talk talk us through kind of your career path coming from Miami into what you all the things you've done before the before the LPGA tour. It might take a while because you've done a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, this will sound strange to both of you guys, but I went to Miami to be a, to be a sportscaster when I was in high school. Tom Brenneman, does that name ring a bell? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So Tom Brenneman and I would do the Cube Cable Game of the Week in Cincinnati. Now, this is you guys are too young for this, but when I grew up. Cube Cable was channel three, and it was only one channel. You had the, the three networks and Cube. So Tom and I would travel around. I played football and, be- and baseball, and uh, he didn't. So we would go basketball season to a different basketball game every week, and we covered the state championship at Miami of Ohio, which is my first time I saw it there. So I thought Tom and I both decided we were both going to be sportscasters. He was a year older, went to OU. I went to Miami. And I was about six months into it at Miami, and I, I remember, I don't know what class it was, but I was in, like, my fourth communications class. And I didn't, you know, I thought I needed more than this. And when you're at Miami, it's a business kind of driven school. So I transferred into finance and economics. And, but I've been, I've said this many times, I'm 53 and I'm still undecided in career. career. So when I got out of school, I ran into these guys from Procter & Gamble. They explained this brand management thing, which to me sounded like you didn't have to choose. It was a little bit of everything, a little sales, a mm-hmm. little marketing, a little manufacturing. So I went to P&G and became the brand manager of Crest Toothpaste. So if you guys want to talk tartar control and gum health, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Um, but, you know, I was there for about seven or eight years. And, um, and I remember thinking that uh, I, love, I love this. I mean, I really do get, you know, in, into whatever I'm doing. But, um, but my real passion was the game of golf. I was cutting grains and changing pin placements as a kid all the way until I graduated. Every weekend I was working on a, always on the grounds crew, never in a pro shop because you'd work from 530 to 230 and get to play free golf. So you grew up in Chicago and grew then up moved in to Chicago. It was a caddy for a summer, hated it. You okay. probably wasn't very good at it. But the grounds crew guy offered me a job there, moved to Cincinnati, worked on a golf course all through high school and college in Cincinnati. What course was it in Chicago? Uh, Col- um, in Chicago, I, I uh, was Crest Creek. Okay. And then when I moved to um, to Cincinnati, it's Coldstream. Okay. And uh, so anyway, when I when I had been at PNG for a while, I I told a recruiter one time. 
at some point, I got to figure out a way to put my two passions together, golf and work. And about a year later, he called me. Over the, they were looking for a guy to run the golf ball business at Wilson, which was seems like forever ago. And that started the journey. Because you were in both marketing and R&D at Wilson? <laughs> well, I was a general manager of kind of the golf, of the non-equipment side of the business. So, yeah, I had two plants, two R&D managers. Uh, it, was, it was different. It was fun. Um, but I was there for about a year and then had an opportunity to go to TaylorMade, you know, from there. Um, TaylorMade was a weird ride, too. I mean, I started as the chief marketing officer, then became the chief sales and marketing officer. Then we got bought by Adidas. Adidas broke everything into regions, so I became the, North Amer- the general manager of North America for TaylorMade Adidas. And then I remember telling my wife, I flew back from a board meeting in Germany and said to my wife, I think this is as big as this company gets. I mean, we're growing it like, you know, they want us to grow it like 6 or 7%, and we'd grown by 100%. We'd gone from $100 million to $750 million, and I said, I, I don't think this company's getting any bigger than $750. Now they're about $2 billion, so it tells you about my <laughs> forecasting skills. And left and went in the hockey business and told her, I think I'd learned all I can learn in golf. I really thought golf was in my rearview mirror. Were you a big hockey fan growing uh, up? I was, I was a hockey fan. If you grow up in Chicago, you become a yeah. Blackhawks fan. I played hockey, not hockey in college. I played it like in fraternity teams uh-huh. and, and intramural teams. I've always enjoyed the game of hockey. I'm not, I'm not deep-rooted uh, in hockey, but loved the, loved the business. So I worked for two uh, owners of teams. One guy owned the San Jose Sharks. The other guy owned the Minnesota Wild. They had this equipment company that was doing poorly. They were losing a lot of money. And they hired me to either shut it down or fix it, one of the two. And we ended up kind of getting it turned around. We bought iTech, which is a company in Montreal. We added iTech to our business, and then we sold it in uh, Christmas of 2008. Okay. What kind of what skills do you learn in such a like a unique path? Like you were not a golf specific path, and all of a sudden, you know, you're with Mission Hockey, right? And then right. your next job was the commissioner of the LPGA <laughs> right. Tour. So, what do you, what 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 do you learn about? Is it mostly a business function running this this tour? Well, I think, you know, three things. I mean, business is business, kind of no matter what, what you apply it to. The, the most important thing I think that came to me, I, I remember saying to the board of the LPGA when they said, we'd like you to become the next commissioner, I actually said, are you sure? And they kind of chuckled. And I said, no, I mean, really, I, I didn't grow up at a league. I don't sell TV rights for a living. I, I don't even spend much time at professional sports events other than the ones I've sponsored. And I said to him, you know, the only time I'm really going to be comfortable in this job is sitting across the desk from somebody who's about to write a $5 million check because I've been that guy my whole life. At Procter & Gamble, I sponsored every sport. When I was at TaylorMade at Wilson and then at Adidas, I've done, you know, NASCAR, baseball, football, virtually any sport, I've been the sponsor. So I've been that guy who wrote the four-year check. And that's when I said that, one of the board members said, that's exactly why we need you. We have golf people. We can set up golf courses. Mm-hmm. We understand pin placements and, and camera angles. We can teach you that. Yeah, we, what we yeah. don't have in our building is the culture of understanding what it feels like to be a sponsor. And the business, you know, to be blunt, doesn't go without sponsorship. So we need to build a mentality inside the building of what it feels like to be a check writer, not a check receiver. We have a lot of check receivers. And I would tell you that I didn't know that, to, to answer your question when you started. When I got to the LPG, I wasn't really sure what value – I was going to add, you know, I didn't know if I could do this job or not. Pretty quickly on the job, I realized that we were a league, and I don't mean this in a bad way, acting like a league. All we talked about was what was important to us. We never talked about the check writer. In fact, a lot of our staff probably didn't even know who the check writer was in certain events. And so um, in my, I, I asked for 100 days when I started, 100 days of no decision making. Just let me listen and learn. You've only met me for a few minutes now, so you see I don't 
I don't stop talking well. <laughs> so I knew that if I didn't build 100 days of listening, I wouldn't take it. So I said, I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm not going to lay out any strategies. I'm not going to make personnel changes for 100 days. And in that 100 days, it became incredibly apparent to me that we needed to change the culture to what I call role reversal. And we've been doing that now for nine years. And it just means before, if we're going to have a meeting about the Kia Classic, the first 50% of the agenda has to be about Kia. The second 50%, we can talk about whatever we want to. But we talk about Kia for the first half. Because if we get Kia right we'll be playing for a long time. If we just get the tournament right, we'll be searching for a new person to put in front of the word classic. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, and it's, uh, you know, you'll see it if you spend time around here. You'll see people walking around with these cards that talk about Kia. I mean, players get educated about Kia. Next week, they'll get educated about ANA. Last week, they were educated on Bank of Hope. I want our athletes, our caddies, and our staff to know what's important to the check writer because it's different every week. So talk me through, let's say like I'm a potential sponsor. What do you, how do you pitch? What's your, what's your pitch? Like what's, is that your role to, to specifically yeah, yeah, spell, no, sell the events role. to tournaments? Um, so what I always tell people is that I, mean, I literally just, I, I shouldn't tell the company because we're, so I literally just had a conference call this morning with a, with a company that we're talking to. And he said, I only got 15 minutes, so go. That's exactly what he said. And I said, if we got 15 minutes, you go. And he said, what do you mean? I said, listen, my first meeting with you, I'm not going to sell you anything in the LPGA. You're not ready to buy it, and I don't even know what you need. So what I typically tell people, if I come visit you, the first meeting, we're not going to talk about the LPGA. We're only going to talk about you. Tell me what's keeping you awake at night. What's missing in your business? Tell me about your 20 biggest dealers and what percent of the business they represent. And we we spend a lot of time learning somebody else's business. And then I say, if I don't come back for a second visit, it's because I don't know how to deal with any of the stuff that you're, you're, you're facing. If I come back, I promise I won't waste your time because what I'm going to bring you back will address the things we talked about today. So um, for me, if you're going to be, if you're going to be, my wife always says that uh, we're in a partnership and I guess you know, she's right. So, <laughs> but sponsorship, I think sometimes is a bad word. It sounds like I sold you something, you wrote a check and the deal's over. Partnership means we're in this together. We're so if I'm going to create a partnership with Kia, if I'm going to create, create a partnership with HSBC or Honda Thailand or, you know, or, or Diamonds Resorts, I got to make sure I understand what's important to them. And I got to make sure when the tournament's over, what we delivered, what was important to them, not us. Sometimes I get excited about TV numbers or who won the event or how many people came through the gate. Some of our sponsors don't care about those things. They care about other things toward their business. So when we do our recap, it's got to be built against their objectives, not ours. Most sports don't do that. As a former sponsor, most sports cash your check and they do everything that's on the legal agreement. Uh, If you want to really be in the business long term, you got to do more than that. So what is so take me through like what you in your experience what a sponsor is mostly interested in because it's from the outside I look at men's professional right. golf and women's I always think about how much money they put up and I'm like do they really you know does so and so sell that many cars in replace <laughs> right. of their money but talk about like what a sponsor gets out of when they buy into a tournament well I would say generally when you talk to sponsors of the LPGA very different probably than the PGA Tour or the NBA or NFL most of our sponsors will put hospitality at the top of their list if hospitality like really get to spend time with your customers with our athletes at the top of your list we win if that's the most important reason you're going to get involved in a sports sponsorship, I do that better than everybody else. And I'm not saying that to be boastful. It's just a fact. And you've, I assume, looked at your agenda. You've talked to other players today. You see that. This oh, is an engaging group of young female athletes. They're fun, right? They're different. They're going to tee off the same tee box you are. You're going to hit the ball about as far as them. They're going to beat you by 30 strokes, but you're going to play a similar <laughs> game, right? If you're 155 out and you got a 7-iron, I'll bet you she has a 7-iron. Yeah. And, you know, you're not. they're not going to be teeing off 40 yards behind you, and they're not going to be asking you to please don't step in my line it's not gonna be a practice round for them it's gonna be a you know it's gonna be a fun day playing golf so it's more relatable right it's just totally we go to the we go to the pro-am party tonight you know you'll see 50 players in there hanging around go to a pro-am of another 
you know, of another tour. Go to a, go to the night before an NBA game and tell me how many athletes you saw <laughs> in the room. It's not it's not part of their DNA. It's it's who we are. So when somebody calls me and says the most important thing for me, Mike, is I want to get my hundred best somebodies together in some location and really spend time and get to know them. I'd say, well, then you called the right place. If somebody calls me and says we're trying to launch a new four definition television that's about how many eyeballs we can get, I say, hey, call Jay. You know. Call Goodell. Those guys deliver more eyeballs than we do. I do pretty well globally, but if it's just about eyeballs in the U.S., mm -hmm. they'll win. So I'd rather have you go spend time with them because they're better at that. But if you want to talk about an experience on the golf course, I win. I mean, I'm, I'm the best at that. So generally what we sell is a great hospitality experience, not just on Pro-Am Day, but the entire week. We, and then we sell an, an opportunity to have a great hometown event. So for Kia, we're going to have a great South, you know, you know, Southern California event, but we're going to let the world eavesdrop. We're going to have 165 countries watch this event while we play. Very different from some other sports. You know, you can have a really cool, um, you can have a really, you know, really cool soccer event here. But generally speaking, they're not going to be televised all around the world. I mean, this one is this one is cool in the fact that this is all about Kia, North America. It's all about Southern California. But our viewership numbers in Korea, Australia, Thailand, Singapore will all be strong because some of those countries' best female athletes are all here. So for them, it's like watching golf Olympics every week. It's it's their players mm -hmm. at the LPGA. So really what we sell is three things, incredible hospitality, engagement factor like nobody else, not just the staff, but the athletes, and and, uh, and a hometown event that the world will watch. So it's, it seems like there's maybe, maybe a misconception about the LPGA Tour, about there is such a foreign presence on the LPGA Tour that it doesn't sound like that's a that it, I guess it may not resonate as much in the U.S. as it as, as does in foreign countries. That doesn't sound like it's a concern to you because of how much of a reach you guys have in so many different places. If you think about it, it's really hard to find a brand anymore that says, you know, I'd really just like my brand to be here regionally. Mm -hmm. I really don't want consumers outside of California to, I mean, I don't, I don't view that as an interesting. Almost every brand I meet, they've got a hometown, they've got a, a core country, but they want their brand to be global. So, you know, when when you're uh, when I'm talking to ANA next week, I mean, it's a Japanese-based company, but they're expanding in the U.S. They want to get their brand presence in the U.S. really clear. But anything they do has to have global reach because the, the airline has global reach. So we're a good fit. Typically, when we were talking before about tell me your pitch, typically if I get a CEO talking, three things are definitely going to come up in that conversation. Global. They're either going global or gone global. In either case, they're not that good at it yet. Global's hard, right? And I usually say ditto. You know, we're going global. Mm -hmm. We're not that good at it yet, but we're pretty global. They'll usually talk about how, you know, their top 50 customers make up 80% of the business. And I'll say, well, let's put on an event that brings your 80, top 50 together. Let's, have, let's spend a week with the guys that make or break your business. Uh, and then they usually talk about something, something that's important to the company or the brand, whether it's charity or a women's movement or, you know, whatever those things are. I say, well, then let's bring that message home. I can do all three of those things at an LP event so that's why if i can get the ceo talking they'll typically bring up things that that we can deliver and then when i come back and deliver it it feels like it was their idea not mine and it says such a trickle down effect we don't talk about a lot of these things a lot on this show but it, it goes to you know when you're able to get this the business side of it arranged that means you're going to be able to get to this many people in the in the tournament and you guys we were talking to nadia earlier today who said when you guys tee it up you have 45 of the top 50 in the world almost almost every, every week. week every yeah. week yeah it's it's not the, not the same on the PGA yeah. Tour, that's for sure. And from all around the world. You know, it's, uh, you know, you got, if you think about it, young girls are hitting balls virtually in every corner of this world. And in their case, and in the case of women's golf, they've all got one dream. It's this dream. It's the LPGA. So everybody's on this strive to make it to this level. Um, and when they make it to this level, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, because if we just had an American tour, 
yeah, we'd have a lot of good American companies that are never going global. But what the best American would do is leave to go play the best players. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's what everybody who's at the top of their game wants to do. Christy Kerr doesn't want to beat the best Americans. She wants to beat the best players in the world, period. So she'd look at us and say, get them together. I'm ready to go. So that's what we try to do every week. Yeah, just in the little bit, few hours we've spent with a few of your players, they don't have the same kind of corporate polish to them and it's the best it's, <laughs> it's charm great, it's yeah. it's awesome yeah. i mean so that, that kind of yeah, yeah that experience yeah. you're talking about with the pro-am and stuff it was it's totally different kind of you know they're not going through the motions when they sit down and talk to us they're not it's not right you know this hit hit the ball here and then i did this now they're they're showing their personality and stuff and that i found that really interesting it's refreshing, today, so, yeah, yeah. i think yeah. people always found it funny i remember a guy from a different league called me and said why do you put players uh twitter handles on the back of the caddy bibs because I want the fans to follow him. They said, well, why wouldn't you put your Twitter handle? That's what league would think, right? At NFL or something. And I said, listen, following a league is so uninteresting. Like, we're, we're corporate. You know, we're politically correct. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. we can only do certain things. And I said, follow Danielle Kang. You'll love her. And when you want to watch her, you'll watch her on the LPGA. And if yeah. you follow Paula Kramer, she's interesting. Or Yanni Sen or So Yun Yu. So if you follow those players, you're following the LPGA. So I don't have to, I don't have to compete with that. I, I want them to be able to find our yeah. players and follow them socially. Because as you guys have seen them, I mean, they're fun. And the, the league or the tour is never going to be. And the more your fun. stars are promoted, the better your no product is. I also like following your players on Instagram just because they're always in crazy location <laughs> yeah. it's such a eating crazy things tour. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so what is what's something how much has the tour changed since you started or what have been some of your big initiatives from you know, 2010 to now well i mean i'll answer the first party question some of the bigger changes is the youth movement i mean it it was young when i got here it's silly young now right i mean it i think it used to be if you go back you know 10 15 20 years ago players would turn pro and then when they turned pro, they'd meet great coaches, great nutritionists, you know, physiotherapists, swing coaches, mental coaches. But they turned pro first. That's when you, that's, well, you have to almost make it to a tour to meet those kind of people. Yeah. You wouldn't even know what a physiotherapist is unless you were at that level. Now at 12, 13 years old, they have that staff. They already mm -hmm. understand nutrition. They understand how to stretch. They understand swing coaches. And so by the time they're 16, 17, they're the same as a 27-year-old used to be 20 years ago in terms of really fine-tuning and learning all the things. I mean, I used to worry about, you know, 22-year-olds traveling all over the world. But I'll meet a 19-year-old who's just, you know, just turned pro, and her amateur career has been nearly as global as the LPGA Tour. I mean, just to mm -hmm. be able to play the best in the world. So um, it's, uh, it's incredibly, it's incredibly young. I mean, we have players who can, you know, are winning, who will win a million dollars this year, but still can't rent a car in any of the cities we go to in terms of their age, you know? Um, so that's, that's been one big trend. The second is that when I got here, people called us global, but we were generally global in a couple of places. We were big in the U S couple of countries in Europe, big in Korea and beginning to get, you know, interesting in Japan today. You just, you just blow that out of the water, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talking about China or Thailand or, you know, Malaysia or Australia. I mean, it, it really comes from all over, including all over Europe. I mean, if you look at our Symmetra tour, the tour to make it on the LPGA, there's 46 countries on that tour. So that's, uh, that's more countries than played in the Olympics for golf, right? So it's yeah. more Olympic on the Symmetra tour than it was in Rio. <laughs> and that's just because, you know, it's what's happening. Players are coming from all over the place. Uh, the things I'm most proud of, I mean, there's really, you know, three things that stand out. The, the event we just came from, Founders Cup, one of the things I felt that the LPGA was missing when I got here nine years ago is I really didn't think it, it understood its roots. And my father used to use this comment to me all the time. It's probably because it made me come home. But he used to say, you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And it was really just, you know, remember the roots so you can figure out what the tree is going to look like. And so I, I had met the founders, but most of my players hadn't. I knew the stories of the founders, but most of the players didn't. So we built the Founders Cup to make sure that today's players 
uh, could thank yesterday's players and understand the, the persistence and the, and the drive that, you know, those players simply wanted to make golf better for women in the next generation. So I would say players, you guys can do whatever you want in your career, but do one thing to leave the game better for your daughters or your daughter's daughters, because mm -hmm. we're making strides. Um, and so that, that event throws about a million dollars a year into the future of the game. And girls under the age of 18 are the fastest growing segment of golf in America right now. That was that would have been unheard of to say nine years ago. I mean, nobody believed girls under 18 were going to lead anything in golf. And, uh, and the other was coming up this fall. It's an event we call the UL International Crown. We, uh, I had a lot of people asking me why we don't play the, the Women's President's Cup. And I said, because that sounds like an idea that, that was generated. one of the questions. I, was yeah. I mean, I'd say that sounds like an idea that, that an American thought of, you know, America versus the rest of the world. Yeah. Great idea. If you spend time in the LPGA like I had, America versus the rest of the world is is yesterday. Yeah. Right. I mean, we could do better. And I, I remember saying because somebody said, well, it'd be great because Japan gets to play with Korea. And I said, you know, buddy, I go to Korea and Japan every year. They don't want to play with each other. They want to kill each other, right? Each I mean, other, yeah. So I said, we got to let everybody paint their face with the flag and sing the anthem. And so the UL crown, when we sat down to design it, we said, let's create something that golf's never seen before. Eight countries, four, four players per country. The only way to qualify is your, is your play. No, There's no backroom. There's no selection committee that decides who gets it. No coaches or captains. The players decide who they're playing with. And um, so the whole event is different. And when we, we – so we've played it twice in America. When we bring that thing to Seoul, Korea this fall, it's going to be um, it's going to be a cannon shot. I mean, there'll be 100-plus thousand people out there, hmm. probably all screaming for Korea. But it's really going to be cool to show Asia an event that probably they've seen on TV but have never been able to touch up close. Mm -hmm. I really think – I really think for golf, it's one of the things we're going to leave in the game. It's it's going to be a new, you know, golf always says they want new, but when you launch new, everybody critiques it. This one's been great because everyone tried to critique it. At the end, they said, "Well, I got to admit, that's pretty fun to watch." How many events a year do you have? Do you host in Korea? Uh, this year there'll be two, there'll be two. and there'll be two uh, long term. So today we have one um, LPJ stop, and we'll add the UL Crown, but it moves every two years. Next year we'll have the, the event in Seoul, and we'll also have an event in uh, Busan, which is their second largest city. Okay. So it's about an hour flight away. So think L.A., San Francisco. In your mind, was it only a matter of time before the PGA Tour moved to Korea, just with the, the incredible boom that's going on there? Uh, yeah, I didn't know if the PGA Tour would go to Korea, but I knew they'd be I knew they'd be traveling through Asia. I mean, the reality of it is when you get to the fall and the NFL and, N and NCAA football starts, no matter no matter what they tell you, the fact is those are tougher times in terms of TV numbers. You're competing against some pretty Americana things. I'm watching college football in the fall, so I get it, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, so we go over to Asia, and I mean, I don't know what the PGA Tour's experience has been. I haven't been to a PGA Tour event in Asia. But when we show up in a country in Asia, it is a happening. I mean, we're the... I mean, the players may have told you already if they've been here. We're the first four pages of the news news section. Yeah. We're the we're the nightly news story on on sports. You know, on sports that night. I mean, you you turn on the TV and there's you know tonight at the LPGA is one of the feature stories on. So it's um it's bigger. I think most Americans we've we've had a couple of media people travel with us. I remember one we were walking on the uh, the fairway on the 17th hole in Korea. And he said, I get it now. And I said, what do you mean? I said, I get why you guys come. And I said, do me a favor. Come with us one more week. Come to Malaysia next week because you think this is a Korea thing. And he did. And he said, I'm, I'm blown away because Malaysia is the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, because I think he's thinking, of course, you're big in Korea. But for a lot of these countries, they don't bring the best athletes in the world to their country for anything. Like America, yeah. we take it for granted. Best hockey, best football, best baseball, best, best whatever plays here all the time. If you live in Kuala Lumpur, the best hundred anything in the world doesn't come to your c country that often so it's a it's a happening and it's pretty cool for us to be in the middle of it what do you see as kind of some of the your biggest challenges going forward for the tour well you know there, those those divide sometimes between uh 
between the U.S. and the rest of the world. In the U.S., my biggest challenge has been my biggest challenge for the last five years once we built out the schedule, which is network TV. You know, we have an incredible partnership with Golf Channel. Um, but if you think about the Golf Channel, I don't know what channel it is in Southern California, but in Orlando, it's 1154. Mm -hmm. You don't swing by 1154 when you're <laughs> surfing, the, surfing the channel listing. And really, Golf Channel is essentially a prescription-based, you know, channel bought mostly by men. So it's a 75, 25 men to women. So I don't get a lot of women to stumble into so the you're LPGA. kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah, I mean, I do great with. on, yeah. I, on yeah. the Golf Channel. But when I do go on network TV, my, you know, my 350, 400,000 viewers becomes a million. Yeah. And of that million, half of them don't watch golf all the time. So I get a chance to, and I'm jealous because the PGA Tour gets that opportunity every weekend mm -hmm. where they go out, show the, show the tour to a much bigger audience, and then bring some of that audience back to Golf Channel. I wish I was that kind of partner for the golf channel. I wish I was on uh, that much. So we've, when I started, we had one network weekend. Now we have seven. Perfect world for me is if I can get half my events you know, over the next 10 years on network TV, I think it changes the face of the LPGA in America. I think globally, um, it's really just continuing to build out our TV presence. I mean, we get incredible TV coverage in the countries we're in. You'd think 170 countries is enough, but there's room for us to continue. Like today, we really don't have coverage in China. Shenzhen is slowly changing that, and the longer she stays number one in the world, the better for that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But you know, expanding into TV in China is a game changer for us, both financially and in terms of viewership. How does that work when you you got you got two events in China, correct? We do, yeah. How does that work when you go in? I mean, golf is kind of it's kind of an awkward situation over there. It's it's I don't want to say taboo, but it's it's a little bit. You yeah, know. they're not sure. They're not sure if they love it or hate yeah. it. Yeah, the Olympics has really helped. To be honest with you, because one thing that the Chinese people like is a sport where they could be on the podium and the flag going up <laughs> and the anthem going up. And so I think when Shen Shen got herself on the podium stand, it, it made them realize, hey, this is a this is a country pride. A lot of terms you heard this term in Asia a lot: podium sports. And I didn't know what that meant back in 2010. Podium sports get government support. If it's a sport that the country could actually be on a podium, then we actually help it. So China has gone from rich man's thing, we don't like it, it's for the elite, to um, golf schools, driving ranges. You know, uh, Some of the biggest name coaches you know in America have schools yeah. now over in China. Because it's a podium sport, the government is actually more into it than... you know. They, they feel like they can invest in it and they'll see tangible results. Yeah, I mean, they look at that. It. I mean, the, the Chinese people would say to you, hey, if, you know, if there's great Asian ladies playing in the LPGA, we're going to be the best of them. You know, because now we're going to just like if there's great gymnastics from, from Asia, we're going to be the best gymnastics. Mm -hmm. So I love that because there's a competitive spirit that, that's driving uh, that's driving. It. The other thing I'd say to you is when we started going to Thailand, we could have had that same question. Like women didn't play golf in Thailand. You go to a golf course, you wouldn't see a woman playing golf. So people would say, why is women's golf tour coming to Thailand? Like that's that's not us. And today, 12 years later, we've got, I don't know, Al would have to tell you, but I bet you we've got 12 players on tour from Thailand, another 12 or 15 on the Symmetra Tour. Last year, no, not, not last year, but the last year, the year before, the number two country at Q School was Thailand. U.S. was one, and Thailand was two. Again, 12 years ago, women didn't play golf. Today, some of the best players in the world play on the yeah. LPGA, and it's caused all these young girls in in Thailand to change their dreams, their aspirations, just like Sayri did in, in Korea. Yeah. I always say the Jutanagarn sisters on my tour are the Sayri of, of Thailand because young girls, I mean, one of the best amateurs in the world right now is a 15-year-old from Thailand. And um, we, so I really believe together, all of us, we can't take credit for it, have changed that country and little girls' dreams. And I think that's happening in more and more. So when we go to a country that doesn't really, doesn't really get us yet, I actually think it's a huge opportunity because it's, you know, it can change. You're it can literally change growing things. the game. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
What is what would you say is one of the bigger is the biggest or one of the bigger misconceptions about the LPGA tour? Well, I, I, I said this one time on ESPN, and I don't know if they agreed with me, but I, I think in sports in general, if you ask people, this, you know, your belief of that sport, and you just say something and don't think about it, the typically the the stereotype or the perception of that sport is right. It's just dated, you know. So, like, and if you'd have said to me NBA five years ago, I'd have said, oh, you know thugs and choking the coach and and I was describing 1990 I'm not describing Durant or LeBron or the way that the sport is today or you ask me about baseball I think about cheating and trying to soak the pants and the Sosa's bat being corked like that's not true today that's not Derek Jeter and you know the future of Mike Trout of the game but I'm I'm dated I'm back 10 or 15 years ago I think it's based in truth it's just old, right? Especially if it's not a sport you're really connected to. And a lot of people know the LPJ aren't as connected to it. So I say LPJ to them and they say, oh, it's all foreign. Nobody speaks the language. I can't even pronounce any of the names. Nobody can even talk to you out there. And I always say, what a great description of the LPJ in 2004. Because, I mean, that would have been fair. But if you walk into LPJ 2050, I haven't seen an interpreter on a driving range in seven years. But when I started in 2010, I would see 12 interpreters on the range every day. It just, it's, we had a traveling uh, language company with us for my first five seasons. <laughs> we probably averaged 40 players a year learning a different language, including Americans learning Japanese, Japanese learning English, you know, Koreans learning you know, uh, Japanese. It was really pretty interesting time. Um, but today, that's not our tour. You know, today, if you come out, you're just going to be floored. I, I love it when somebody comes out for the first time and the, they're playing in a program and they go, look, I got, and they'll, you know, they'll say, I got this, this guy. I'm like, wow, is that going to be fun? No, what do you mean that's going to be fun? I said, she's crazy. You know, she's 23. She's <laughs> from Spain. She's, you know, she's a lot of fun. And um, so I think the misconceptions are, are probably based in truth. They're just really dated. That's just not us today. We're uh, So the, the uh, language thing, like... Was that something that, that, that you all encouraged as far as, or was it just the ladies just taking more ownership of, hey, this is a global tour and we need to... We just, um, you know, to me it was like, you know, uh, if, if I know you're thirsty, I just put the Diet Pepsi stand on the tee next to you, right? So I knew they wanted to learn the language. I knew they were incredibly overachievers. I mean, when a, when a player on tour says she's going to learn a new instrument... Like, I think at 53, that's a five-year endeavor. She thinks in five weeks I'll play in front of people because that's who these guys are. I mean, they're mm. incredible overachievers, and they just do everything better than us. So all I, all I said is we're making it awfully difficult for a bunch of women who travel every week, don't get home very often. When they get home, they really got to shower, sleep, and do laundry. Those are your only options because you're going to take off again the next week. So we look for a language company for those first five years that would travel with us because their downtime is rain delays. Their downtime is an afternoon pro-am time and the course isn't available in the morning. So they needed to, to learn all this stuff on their time. Their downtime is flying from here to, you know, from here to the next stop. Mm -hmm. So we just brought language to them. They paid for it. They decided what language they wanted to learn. We just brought the instructors to them. So if you, you know, five, six, seven years ago, if we had a rain delay and you walked into a pro shop, you would see a bunch of players offsetting with individual coaches all learning their, I remember seeing Beatrice Ricari one time and I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm learning Japanese. And I said, why? She goes, well, I speak five languages. It'd be really cool to speak a sixth. That's, that's who we're talking about, right? She Worldly, thought it'd be yeah. really cool to learn a sixth, you know? So, and, you know, for me, I was embarrassed because I'm still struggling with English, you know? But, right. but that's, you know, they're, they're very good at what they do when they set their mind to it. We just needed to make it easy for them. And yeah, yeah. the language thing is, uh, is, is history on our tour. That puts in perspective, yeah, anyone that says, like you just said about 
people not speaking English, it's like, well, hey, yeah, it's not their, it's not that easy to learn a second <laughs> right. language, and then for some people, it's not even their second language. And some different. countries, you know, where you come from, the, the the cultural is you don't speak another language until you're really good at sure. it. Sure. And I remember yep. saying, I sat next to Ai Miyazada, remember from Japan. Mm-hmm. We sat in a plane. We were telling jokes the whole way. We were going. To, I think we were going to Arkansas. We got there, and she was in the lead, and she went into the thing, and she said, "Can I get my interpreter?" And I said, your interpreter? I mean, nobody speaks faster than me. And you understand everything I said on the plane. She goes, yeah, but I don't know if I speak English good enough. And I remember thinking to myself, and I said doing a couple player meetings, Americans will love you for trying. And they'll actually really get a kick out of it if you beat it up. Because we all beat it up English, yeah. you know. So it, some of it was just telling people it's okay to be okay. Uh, but they're so good at their sport. They don't want to be average yeah. at anything else. And, and people that. in Arkansas will laugh at people in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, you, you kind of touched on earlier, but things that I've heard about from about the players on the LPGA Tour and that they are so good at buying into the product, right, and helping sell right. the product. So what are some examples of things that you see, like, your players doing to kind of just help promote the tour or do things that maybe wouldn't be done on the PGA Tour? Well, I'll give you a, a great living example all the way back to my first days. When I first got here, I used to you know, be walking around and players would say, hey, how can I help this week, commission? Hey, have play fun, high five. And uh, so Christina Kim grabbed me one time and said, uh, no, when we say how can we help, like we really want to help. And I, I was almost not prepared for that question. So I had created um, – I'll give me one. I see a card in front of you. So I had created, this doesn't work on a podcast, but I'll at least show you guys and you guys <laughs> yeah. can talk about Let me it. Take a picture of it. But I created these cards that are called customer profile cards and I created them for my staff because I didn't want my staff to get out of an airplane and assume they know what Kia or HSBC or, H- or KPMG wanted that week. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure you understand. So we created this help card and HELP stands for something, but essentially it, it points out who's writing the check this week, not who's the title sponsor, but somebody's writing a check for us to be playing for 1.8 million in front of 170 countries. So we make sure we explain what their objectives are what are they trying to get done we make sure the player knows what are the two or three things as an athlete we need from you this week if we're going to deliver kia's objectives i don't think lebron shows up at his locker tonight and gets a card telling him the three or four things he's got to do before shoot around my players do we show pictures of the most important people that are going to be there that week if you see these people thank them if you don't see these people, here's their address and where to send your thank you card. I, I give them one unwritten thank you card a week, already self-addressed to a CEO, and just say, fill it out this week, give it to any staff member, we'll mail it. As a former sponsor, I never got thanked by an athlete. I, I wasn't offended by that, but I thought, it'd be cool if you did. And we could be the only sport doing that. You know, I'm pretty sure there's no other sport. And at the bottom, we tell them uh, su- suggested social posts. All my players are going to post a million things this week. If they can work in these four or five posts, it would really make a difference in Kia's business. So mm-hmm. every week they show up, they're going to get that card. It's going to change the information. Because yeah. the funny thing is, you know, we might play for different banks or different car companies. Some car companies are doing it to sell cars. Some car companies are doing it you know, to, to talk to their dealers. We want to make sure the players understand the objectives of the check writer. So the reason I tell you that is I get a call every week from a different CEO going, you'd never believe what I got in the mail the other day. I go, what'd you get? I got 17 thank you letters. <laughs> so you're kidding me. No way. They must love you. You know, but um, but it's important that the players understand that there's an appreciation side to this. Important that the you know the, yeah. the, the staff and the caddy. So um, I, I was I mentioned uh, Christina Kim because one time she was playing this event about five years ago. She saw Michael Sprague, who's the VP of Sales and Marketing for Kia North America. She was walking between nine and ten. He was there with his family. She ducked under the rope and said, "Are you Michael, the guy from Kia?" And he said, yeah, I am. And she shook her hand and she just, and she said, I just want to thank you on behalf of all these women for what you're doing. Ducks under the rope and goes, hits on 10. I mean, this is in the four days of competition. So, of course, he picks up his cell phone, calls us and goes, what was that all about? <laughs> you know, and we said, well, you know, she's got your picture. She knows a little bit about your background. It's important that she knows that you're an important player. 
And this is a guy, Kia, who sponsors a lot of sports, tennis, yeah. basketball. Because I've never been thanked by an athlete before. And I said, well, that's why we do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a little thing. But you guys have met my players and now well enough to know that they not only they not only respect that, but they do these things. And those are little things that make a big difference. And media-wise, too, like we do a lot of PGA Tour stuff. And it can be hard to get to players sometimes. And they just kind of see it as an obligation. And obviously, they deal with it at a different level. Here, it's like people, people are like, hey, when are you guys going to come out to LPGA right. event? Yeah. Like, come on. You need to come come do this. And we've been admittedly lacking. but uh, we, <laughs> I the, remember we were we were in Des Moines. And a guy came up to weird there for the Solheim Cup. We didn't have quiet please signs. When the signs just said get loud. So when somebody put the thing up, it would actually say get loud. And this guy said to me, you know, I've been to a lot of golf events and you need some quiet please signs. I said, you ever been to an LPJ event? He goes, my first one. I said, then you need to spend more time in an LPJ event. Because he goes, well, where are the quiet please signs? I said, we're not asking for quiet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially at this let's event. Have some fun. Yeah. I mean, you yell at these players, they're going to yell back at you. And if you yell at the wrong time, spectators will take care of you. Yeah. You know, I have to worry about you. So it's, um, it's fun to be different sometimes. And my players are, you know, are refreshingly different. So we want to make sure that we showcase that. What kind of relationship do you have with, with commissioners of other sports leagues? Like I've, I've always envisioned it as this little... <laughs> This little a special uh, knock league. at the door. Yeah. Piece of a group text altogether. I don't. If there's a knock, no one's giving it to me. So, <laughs> so maybe that it should tell me something about myself. Um, not real close with the other sports, but pretty close in golf. I mean, I'm you yeah. know a good personal friends with Jay Monahan, Pete Bavacqua, Mike Davis. I mean, I consider all those guys good friends. Same with Martin Slumbers or Keith Pelly uh, overseas. I mean, we sit on a couple of, of the same boards, so we see each other four or five times a year. And just be, and the Olympics really help pull us as an industry together. I've said this rowing in the same direction. Yeah. Just, you know, bottom line is, you know, we're all trying to, we're all trying to compete and win in our own individual tour or business, but the Olympics gave us common bond and and common Mm -hmm. effort. And Rio wasn't easy. You know, we had to build a golf course and figure out a lot of rules and regulations. I mean, Japan's a whole nother, a whole nother thing in terms of, you know, being able to start with a country that already gets it and has, has a lot of options for us to play. But it was really, um, it was really a, a lightning rod to bring us all together and talk about growing the game worldwide and what works in Europe and doesn't work in the States versus Canada versus, uh, you know, versus Australia. So um, I would say really close with the golf industry. Uh, in terms of other sports, I'm just, uh, because I've been in sports so long, I just know a lot of people in, you know, at, the, at Major League Baseball or the NFL that I've known and worked with and, mm-hmm. you know, in other businesses. But I don't, uh, I don't know Goodell well. I don't, you know, I don't know Silver. I mean, I've seen, you know, we've bumped into been in the same meetings, especially, like I said, Olympics in Rio, I saw more um, of the NBA, but um, but unfortunately, I think with all of us, our businesses kind of take us different directions. But I'm really excited. When I left golf in, in about 2000, one of the things that was frustrating to me is that there just didn't seem to be any kind of common bond between the stakeholders of the game. When I came back in 2010, 10 years later, it was fundamentally changed, and that was really exciting for it's me. Like, it's, like, it's like everybody knows the more the more popular golf is in general, all boats rise. No right? doubt. Yeah. I think, too, like anything else, when you're when everything you're doing is working, you don't really have to work very hard, but when golf kind of golf kind of dipped back down there, well, kind of the mm-hmm. post Tiger effect, it really I really think it made the industry and all the stakeholders better because now you got to figure it out, right? I mean, when your when your market share is, is going to be your market share, but the pie got smaller, you better figure out how to grow the pie again. And I would say, twenty years ago, the industry wouldn't have known what to do with Top Golf and probably would have given it the Heisman. Twenty, I mean, but today. Everybody in the industry understands what an important aspect Top Golf can be and is. Mm-hmm. Introducing the game to millions of people that probably don't know what it's like to stand on the first tee of an actual golf course, and we would have probably said that wasn't golf 20 years ago. And I think the great news is everybody realizes that's exactly what it is now, and it's a huge upside. So I think the I think the industry is smarter and certainly more aligned than it was, you know, at least when I was here back in the 90s. 
I imagine this varies from sponsor to sponsor and for different parts of the world, but who is, who are some examples of your most marketable stars in terms of like what a sponsor, who a sponsor wants to play with in a pro-am or who's like the highest requested person usually? Well, I mean, I mean, you, you could be a moderate fan and probably think that, you know, Lexi, So Young you, uh, you know, uh, Paula Kramer, uh, Christy Kerr, the Corda sisters, um, and it probably depends on what country. Like in Korea, yeah. I can tell you, you can go right down the list. I mean, Sun Hyung Park is going to be probably the number one player auctioned off. You know, she's a winning machine, and in Korea, comes from a lot of wins. When we go to Japan, Japanese players are sort of at the top of sure. that list. So it's interesting. And when you go to uh, Thailand, um, it's really funny for me to see a couple of really huge American stars leave the tee. And then the gallery gets bigger, and I realize, oh, you know, Moria Jutanagard's up next. Well, in the States, it was just the opposite would happen, right? Yeah. She'd go off and then all those people would come up for the next American group. So it's fun to me to see that change. But we've got um, we've got 20 players that are big. I mean, Michelle Wee's gallery is big no matter where she plays mm-hmm. in the world. You know, I think it's, it's safe to say that So Yun Yu is a big gallery no matter where she plays in the world. You know, the the quarter sisters are going to have a great following no matter where they play. And it's it's fun to it's fun to see. There's We've got, you know, our handful of stars that are, that are borderless and you know Shen Shen is becoming one of those stars where no matter if you're playing in Asia or the US people just want to come out and see her play I don't think I've ever seen her without a smile on her face <laughs> yeah, she, she will not die of stress <laughs> I don't know what she does when she gets old age but it won't be stress because she doesn't get too wigged out about the job to say it's like for a casual golf fan that doesn't tune into the LPGA regularly what would you say that they're missing out on the most I think they're, they're uh, you're never going to learn I mean, I shouldn't say never, and I don't know Bubba Watson, but I, what I was thinking is I'm never going to learn how to hit a 195-yard, 58-degree wedge. You know, so when I turn on the TV and see there's Bubba, and he's got 193 and no slight downhill wind, he's got a 58-degree. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I can't relate to that. But if you ask me, um, how does Stacy Lewis, at a, I don't know what she weighs, 105 pounds, you know, 5'5", five five, 105 pounds, how does she hit at 275? We all could learn something from that because I can't hit at 275 mm-hmm. and I'm 200 pounds. So there ought to be – so what I would tell people is it's a much more relatable game. You're going to learn a lot more from watching Paula Kramer hit a golf ball than you probably are watching Rory McIlroy. It's just, it's just the reality of it. You know, I mean, just – I don't know. Such a variety of shots. Too. And they're going to – like I said, if you're 155 yards out, you're probably both hitting seven yards. Yeah. So you're going to have a game that's similar. You're going to actually watch people that, that play a game that it's at least like yours and you're going to be able to re- relate to. The other thing I think you're going to find is um, I always tell people – because some people say to me, you know, your sport's so global and I have a hard time getting my head around it. I said, how do you get your head around the Olympics? They go, well, that's different. I said, it's really not different. I mean, what happens in the Olympics is the best young athletes in the prime of their career are coming together to see who's the best in the world. And you take the time to get to know them. And all of a sudden, you find yourself cheering for the, the German bobsledder and the, you know, mm-hmm. the Ukrainian gymnast because you get to know a little bit about them. If you take the time to get to know a little bit about my athletes, you will follow them forever because they're incredible. They're incredible stories. If you're 22 and one of the best 50 anything in the world – you need to understand that story because that's pretty amazing to, to be. So to me, I I follow these 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 women because I'm amazed at what they're able to do. Like I said, I'm 53 and I'm never going to be the top 50 anything in the world. And they're 23 and you know there's virtually nobody better at what they do than them. So it's a, it's a relatable game. And I think yeah. you know go play around with Morgan Pressel and you'll be floored that she can beat you by 20 strokes, she can out hit you by 20 yards, and you know you got 100 pounds well, and on they, her. And they, they're, they're, they have such good tempo in their swings. Yeah. Like, I feel like everybody could learn so much from their tempo. Golf has turned into this, and I'm this, I, I'm, I fall into this too, this obsession with distance and wanting to crush the ball and feeling like it's a 400-yard hole. I, okay, th- I can hit it 300, and that'll leave right. me 100. And then you watch 
just being out there for the couple a couple of holes today watching some of these women play and it's like wow that's a like a much that, that, that a way to way play to it play makes yeah. so much yeah. more sense why do i never do that yeah. so well same reason tiger would hit 10 two irons right i mean yeah. playing in the fairway is a different ball game you know and we always and we always laugh as you know our, our mo, mo martin hits 84 percent of her fairways in regulation 84 <laughs> percent i mean it's like you got to wait a couple of tournaments to miss and i was telling somebody that's the other amazing. day when i was flying back from asia to, to our last season of the event and i looked and said if you hit 70 percent of our of your greens in regulation on our tour um you were gonna you, were, you weren't gonna be like in the top 25 Seventy percent, you know. So I said, you know, the accuracy on this tour. Which is, that would be probably still, what top three or top four on. I don't PGA know. But I'm just. I remember thinking to myself, uh, you know, some some kid on our tour is hitting sixty eight percent of greens in regulation, and she can't compete. I mean, that's that's not fair. We hear a lot about what a lot of the players uh, do is in terms of with junior golf and the relationship with junior golf. You guys had, we were talking with Nadia some earlier, told us kind of some stats on, on, <laughs> on, on what has grown from a junior perspective and what kind of programs you support in that regard. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So our LPJ foundation, you know, yeah. kind of our foundational effort of the LPJ is really based on a program we have with the USGA called LPJ USGA girls golf. When we, when I took a look at it in 2010, when I got there, we were introducing a little over 4,000 girls a year to the game. The, the whole idea is to introduce girls to the game in a girls-only environment. What happens when you get a bunch of girls together and learn the game? It's, it's, it's safer. It's funner. They come back. If you get boys and girls together, you tend to get about a 70% drop-off in girls coming back. If you get girls to play together in the very beginning, that doesn't happen. Your retention rate is through the roof. So we looked at that and said, we know it works. We just haven't really fueled it. So uh, things like the Founders Cup we talked about in the beginning have all been designed to generate funds. Uh, the women on tour donate about $250,000 a year into this program as well. So there's a lot of different people. Pete, you know, uh, Augusta National writes a significant check to this. USGA writes a significant check to this. We've got corporate sponsors involved too. But today, we introduce about 80,000 girls a year. So we went from 4,000 girls a year to 80,000 girls a year being introduced to the game. And that's really what's changed in, in young women's golf. That's why, you know, we, we you know, doubled the size of girls under the age of 18 playing golf in America. I always say that for me, for as long as I've been in golf, junior golf and, and, uh, and senior go adult golf has always looked the same. 80% men, 20% women. Mm -hmm. Junior golf, 80% boys, 20% girls. So when people say, how do you feel about the future of the game? I'd say, same way I feel about the present because the future is just going to be supplied with the same percentages. Today, if you look at the future of golf, a third of, of youth, a third of kids under the age of 18 are girls. We've never been able to say that. They've hovered around 15 to 20% for 100 years. So now if you think about, when you talk about the future of the game, it's twice as much female as it used to be. So I don't know how many of those girls will be playing when they're 40, but even if almost all of them fall off, it'll be a bigger number. So the game's going to be more female in 20 years, whether people like it And or they're not. still conscious of golf, even if they don't play anymore. They'll be, they'll be viewers, yeah, they'll exactly. be fans, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll make golf trips. So uh, yeah, I think the I think if you love the game, you owe that to the game. Like, let's let the other half in. And that's really what's happened in the last five or six years. Is there any emphasis on courses designed for women? Like, no, I, not like really. It's always, it's always interesting to me where you know, it's just like, all right, play up a tee or, 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 you know, or two or three. But it's, it's never, hey, we're going to make this course you know, more – you know, place these bunkers in a certain spot. There's a couple over in England, like Formby's like that, yeah. where they've got it. Kind there of may inside. be, I, if I, I'd be lying to you if I said it was something that I'm spending a lot of time yeah. on, because in my world, 
my players play from wherever the blue tee markers are yeah. at your home course. I mean, some, I'll always be sitting with across from somebody and they'll say, yeah, but I don't know if this course is right for the LPGA. And I said, what are your, what are your, you know, your middle men's tee markers play at? Oh, 6,800. I said, perfect. You know, we're going to play somewhere between 6,400 and 6,750. That's sort of our sweet spot. And generally, almost every golf course that at least hasn't been designed in the last 20 years, that everything designed mm -hmm. the last 400 years, is kind of designed to be played around 6,500 yards. So it well, doesn't so matter what course you do you view that as like an opportunity it. then? Like, because I feel like, you know, men's pro golf is getting squeezed out of all it these is. awesome courses and that's like an opportunity for you guys. No doubt. I have said to Mike Davis a million times, you know, <laughs> I know you're concerned that Marion's not long enough for you. It's perfect for us. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's exciting to see some of the places, whether it's Olympic or Pebble Beach or Shoal. Yeah. I mean, we're playing some of the really classic yeah. golf courses in our majors. And if you think about what the, what's happening with the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, same thing, whether it's, you know, Sahali or Olympic Fields. I mean, we're going to, um, we're going to some of the true classic what are typically known as men's majors courses, and they're perfect for us. We're not redesigning anything. We're not mm -hmm. adding tees. We're not changing a thing because playing right at where that golf course was designed is really about the length we play. Yeah, we're coming this year. KPMG. Okay, good, excellent. Definitely. Good. Um, yeah, he worked for KPMG. I used to work for them for nine years in Chicago, yeah. so we're uh, it's gonna, now I kind of work for him. We're doing. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, What would you say is like something like one of the most important things you've learned in your time as commissioner? I hate to admit this, but um, patience. I wasn't born with it. Uh, you know, I used to think it was a four-letter word. I used to think when people would talk about patience as a virtue and all that, I used to, uh, I used to think patience was was a lazy person um, supporting their pace. Because I'm not, I'm a pace. I mean, you can see my knees bouncing. I'm full of <laughs> caffeine, like I go right. And so, to me, I, I I would much rather make aggressive mistakes, apologize, and fix it then always be right because I took my time. I used to hate the term, let's sleep on it, get back out tomorrow. I'm like, sleep doesn't make me change the way I think. Let's go, you know. Um, kind of the fail quickly. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. Much, I mean, and unfortunately, I've proven that a million times in this job because in this job, everybody writes about your fails, and I've certainly had my share. But, um, but what I've learned is in this job is, you know, to really, it, it's really not my LPGA. It won't be my LPGA when I'm gone. It wasn't my LPGA before I got here. But there are people... Um, that it is their LPGA. I mean, this is a Marilyn Smith's LPGA. It's Nancy Lopez's LPGA. It's Patty Sheehan's. It's Pat. You know, th these people. Um, these people built it. They still own it. It's their brand. And so, uh, you know, I might be sitting at the desk right now, but it's in my not only in my best interest, but quite frankly, it's my responsibility to make sure that the other members of the LPGA understand big changes. When I was going to announce a fifth major, which I realized was going to you know have a lot of people setting things on fire. It took me probably six months to finally get to the microphone because I really wanted to sit down with Annika and have that conversation with Nancy Lopez. I wanted to talk to former commissioners like Charlie Meacham. I really wanted to hear all the different challenges. I sat down with a bunch of media people off the record and said, tell me about this. And so um, I hate being that slow, but the job has forced me to, um, to gather some more input before taking on the biggest challenges. Not because... I'm afraid of the mistake. I, I really actually enjoy the mistake. But what I don't want to do is have any of our members who feel like this is their brand, their company, um, feel like they didn't have uh, input, voice, and direction into that brand. And sometimes I'm in such a hurry, and I, I, I'm convinced I'm right, even when I'm wrong, that I just kind of go. And like I said, I don't mind failing. What I do mind is people that really um, that really live this brand. It's in their DNA. Didn't feel like they were part of the process. So it, it forces me to slow down sometimes to go faster. I, I've learned it. I don't necessarily like it, but I've learned it. Was that an uphill battle, adding a fifth major? Or was Significant the, uphill yeah. battle. Yeah, I was straight Who up. Who were your biggest, biggest kind of uh, I was the number it. one. I mean, yeah. first off, I mean, I, I didn't come to the LPGA with the premise of having five majors. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, 
I'm a traditionalist, right? I've been watching sports my mm-hmm. whole life, and I understand four and Grand Slam, and I get all the, the stuff. Um, and that's exactly what I would have said as a fan who doesn't care if the LPGA has a lot or a little exposure, right? I mean, most fans will go, well, that's silly, are also the ones who don't care that we're never on network TV. They don't care that they play for one-fifth the money as the men. And um, if you want to keep us in that closet, I get it. You know, force us to play by the rules. But I don't want to be in that closet. I don't want to play on network TV one week in a year. I don't want to play for one-fifth of the men. I do want the media to cover us more often. And the reality of it is they do that when we play major. Mm-hmm. And these women get to change their career in major circumstances. Listen, if, if I was on the PGA Tour and I had events like the Players' Championship or the Arnold Palmer or Jack's event or P- Pebble Beach, I get it. I mean, they get the same amount of exposure as the U.S. Open. So no reason to change anything. Women don't have that. Our, our events don't get that kind of exposure, but majors do. And when I met a guy who said, I got a 30-year vision and enough money to help you deliver it, I thought, you know what, my founders, my original founders would have figured out a way to let that guy help lift women's golf, and that's really what's happening. So no way it's, it's, right. totally, it's totally different yeah. as a fan versus commissioner. I would have, yeah. I'd still be the guy calling in saying, well, that's a stupid idea, and I get that, but it, I'm not trying to impress ideas. I'm trying to lift these women to higher ground. How's your game? <laughs> well, so my game's pretty good in the off season. I, I have a female LPGA teacher lives about a mile from me. So I take a lot of lessons from Thanksgiving until the end of January. Uh-huh. And then at the end of January, we high five and she says, see you at Thanksgiving because I go on the Pro-Am tour for nine months. So I'm, you know, now I'm right in the middle of the Pro-Am tour. I don't, haven't hit a bad shot the second time. <laughs> I haven't hit a bunker shot in two months, but I won't hit one for another seven months. So, you know, it's funny. My wife will say, how'd you play today? I'm like, ah, 12 under, yeah. you know, but I have no idea how I played today. It was a scramble <laughs> with the best player in the world. So um, I can play. I mean, I've played my whole life. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable golfing in any scene or environment. I, I love the game. I'd play golf if I wasn't the commissioner. So yeah. the fact that I can and do this is a really nice perk. Cool. All right, let's wrap it at that, Mike. Thanks for, thanks for the hour, and thanks for having us out this week. And uh, best of luck with the rest of the season, and we uh, hope to do it again sometime. Glad to have you guys here. Thanks, thanks for Mike. Us. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 